Sassy. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest letter from the chairman, some hot new ship sales, and Star Citizen 1.1. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we'll talk about zero-g space combat, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. We've added a new feature to our website, GuardFrequency.com, a Patreon campaign button. We've got a variety of rewards and backer levels, but essentially, if you know Kickstarter works, you're most of the way there. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week, free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We thank everybody who's already chipped in and hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we make. And that takes care of the housekeeping. So let's get to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. I'm conflicted, Sits and Sivs, on many fronts. I am a, a Star Citizen backer. Hell, I do a podcast every week. But I'm super addicted to Elite Dangerous right now. Also, I know the Motley Fool website used to be an edgy, quirky, sort of awesome place to get out-of-the-box investment ideas and analysis, but now they're kind of cut from the same cloth as all the rest of the Wall Street charlatans. You know, finally, all our listeners should know of this show's unabashed love for the A-10 Warthog. Oh, yeah. But we also adore the innovative Textron Scorpion. Now, that may seem like a pretty eclectic list of things to be conflicted about, but stick with me. I'm going to put it together for you. Rich Smith, writing for The Motley Fool, recently published an article about the world's newest tiny fighter. In it, he treads some ground that should be familiar to Squawk Box aficionados. The impending retirement of the A-10, the F-35's complete inability to take over that job today, and the lack of a good replacement candidate. And then he seizes on an offhand comment made by Air Force General Herbert Carlyle, the Air Combat Command Chief, who responded to a direct question about the Scorpion's chances to replace the Hog. Quote, That's not something that's outside the realm. We've done some research. We're just keeping our opportunities open. End quote. Now, to most savvy retail investors, this would not be a strong buy signal for a company's stock. On the other hand, the Scorpion flies higher, faster, and for longer periods than the Hog. On the other hand, its cockpit is not sunk in a titanium bathtub, and it lacks the defining feature of the A-10, that big, big gun. Sure, given the Scorpion's modular design, it can mount cannons on its external hardpoints, and there's surely enough room in its cargo bay for some kind of centerline pod like the F-35 is supposed to get someday. But the A-10 is purpose-built for mixing things up low and slow in support of the ground pounders. The Scorpion is supposed to do it all, but with frequent trips to the hangar to swap gear. Now, this is where I bring in Elite Dangerous. 
I'm still pretty much a noob. I have a small ship. It's called the Viper. I can swap out a bunch of internal parts. A cargo bay, a planet scanner, a shield booster, a gizmo that yanks people out of warp drive, a bigger cargo bay, etc. It's cheap to fly, it's a cinch to reconfigure, and it's pretty speedy. I can do it all, provided there's a nice safe base with the right kind of logistical support nearby. If there's not, then I just can't do certain missions. And there's no way I'm taking that little ship into a knockdown drag out fight. It's way too fragile. Modularity and flexibility are great in the right environments. Trying to put 30mm shells into a tank at 200 feet AGL at 300 knots after taking off from a packed dirt runway? Eh, that may not be the right environment for modularity and flexibility. So, they're gonna try to replace a tank with a tiny little, like, Ford Escort. I think that's the plan that the Air Force has. You know, I served in the Air Force. It's supposed to be the brainiac of the of the three services. Right, but, right. The Chair Force. That's right, yes. Right. And yet, I still wonder sometimes of what they're doing. We need an A-10 replacement. Obviously, if you've flown this in a simulator or, or any kind of, you know, followed its history, with the stuff going on in the world today, man, give me a couple A-10s and I'll clean that mess right up. And you can look at it from any different perspective. I'm, I, I like space sims, so I kind of likened it to the tiny ship in, in the game that I'm flying right now. I mean, an airplane that can do lots of different things is very useful when you don't know what the job is going to be that day. You might need to go scout something. You might need to be a communications relay. You might need to be a surveillance platform. You don't know. But there's some things you just know you're going to have to do sometimes. One of those would be close air support. That's just a job that's always going to exist. It's a dangerous, dirty, nasty job that is always going to have to be done. You can just build a plane that does that. That's true. But, I mean, you could fly an A-10 and a Scorpio and still come under the operational cost of an F-35. Come on. <laughs> no, that, that is also an excellent point. You could fly the two of them together, have the Scorpion up high pointing out targets, having the A-10 run in and go get them. Right. It still costs less than a single F-35 to fly. You're, you're absolutely correct. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense the way they're doing it. I mean, closer support is a is a mission that they'll always have to do. It, it's like in Star Citizen or Elite Dangerous. If I know I want to mine, I'm going to have a mining ship. It's going to have a big cargo bay and a mining laser sticking out of the front and nothing else. Because that's what I'm going to do with that ship all the time. It doesn't make sense for my mining ship to also be my combat ship and my exploration ship and everything else. In some scenarios, modularity, flexibility makes a lot of sense. Close air support, not one of them. And I love the Scorpion. I report on it all the time. I'm totally biased because the prototype was built here in my hometown. But this is not a job it needs to do. No, I, I agree. And much like the reconfiguration of the B-52 engines, who, you know, we know how long that plane's been flying. It's older than I am. And I'm 53, <laughs> you know. And I heard that they were thinking of extending the operational range of the A-10 until 2025. It's not impossible. Yeah. No, it's not. With our current infrastructure and things already tooled, yeah, we could keep those flying, and we should. I think we should re-engine them, but... <laughs> no, why not? All I can really contribute to this conversation is that I had a Transformer toy that was an A-10, and it was my favorite. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, check your screen, call the ball. Get with me. Our crowdfunding update for March 20th, 2015, 75557000 up about 450000 from last week. Good job, everybody. Star Citizens, our ranks have increased by 39000 These conventions 
seem to help, guys. You know, just have one every week. Let's just keep doing that. And the UEE fleet has grown by another 6,000 ships to 651,000, about the same as last week. It just seems that people just buy 6,000 ships a week. That's, that's a good number. We haven't had one for a while, so let's dive into the latest letter from the chairman, this time all about Star Citizen 1.1 and the future. We'll be discussing all the great things 1.1 has brought us in just a moment, so for now, we're going to look to the future. Chris lets us know that with the release of 1.1, Star Citizen has been set up to allow for rapid expansion, and that over the next few months, we'll see the inclusion of Star Marine, aka the FPS module, with Star Citizen 1.2, and the social module to come down sometime later. From this point, Chris says the team are able to build out the full game in many directions. Chairman then goes on to thank us all for hitting the $75 million milestone, and that in celebration of breaking through another barrier, each account will be credited with 5,000 REC to start. Woohoo. Now, Jeff, why aren't you excited about that? As I don't participate in the rec thing, you know, it's vapor to me. So, so the, the, the 5,000 starting point doesn't give you, like, a boost to, like, go earn the extra 3,000 you need to get the cheapest thing in the store or something? No. Not the slightest bit of incentive. Nope. Not the merest inkling of a tiniest desire of the smallest want. No. All right, Jace. <laughs> Jace? I, I mean, how, how many ways can I say that? <laughs> I, was, I'm, I was digging, man. I was trying to find the, the barest spark of interest from you at all. That's, that's why I subjected you to such withering questioning. But no, there's just nothing there. I, I I have done my best to elicit that out of you and got rebuffed at every turn. So now I have to turn to Jace and say, hey, Jace, does this do anything for you? Well, it depends on if any of the game modes I end up playing actually generate more wreck for me because the things that I could afford with the 5,000 I kind of have or have better than already. So what you're telling me is that you are not going to change your gameplay behavior because of the addition of the rec system. No, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Well, all right. I'm just sort of, you know, curious here. I'm here with my two co-hosts, you know, uh, Jason Priority One, Jeff from here, Guard Frequency. I mean, I realize we're sort of a, we're a narrow demographic, really, you know, older gentlemen, men with a certain not zero number of gray hairs in our heads, people with (laughs) other things to do that occupy our time, and yet this incentive has done absolutely nothing to change our preferred gameplay. True. Very true. That's all I gotta say about that. Alright. Well, yes, folks, Star Citizen 1.1 has arrived. Just two hours before we started recording the show, the news post went up. As you can imagine, we've not really had a chance to test it fully yet, but that doesn't stop us from talking about it. One of the main reasons we haven't had a chance to play it at all is because this update requires you to reinstall Star Citizen. Say what? Oh, yeah. I I say that again. For this update, you have to reinstall Star Citizen. Although Star Citizen has been available for approximately two years now, starting out as a hangar module through to Arena Commander, the patching process has always been somewhat a pain in the arse. With the release of 1.1, the team has created a new installer that will eliminate all our patching woes. No more having to delete your user folder. Speaking of the user folder, Star Citizen will no longer install to my documents, but to a standard program's files folder. So should you wish to import your key bindings, you'll need to head over there. 
Once you've reinstalled your client, you'll no doubt be raring to go, and this update brings a lot of new functionality. We did touch on a lot of the updates when discussing the PTU build last week, but the official 1.1 patch has brought us a few new systems as well. Although we knew the REC system was coming, we've now been given details on how to go about spending it to get some nice shiny new, but temporary, weapons and ships. Other new systems include the overhaul of the weapons system, new landing system that allows you to smoothly land on any one of the eight pads now available in free flight mode, and some minor cosmetic changes such as the new damage state system, as well as finally giving us the 64-bit update. So let's start things off with Wreck. Love it or hate it, it's now live in the game, and we've been granted 5,000 already. To earn more is simple. Play in public Arena Commander matches and complete objectives. Once you have enough Wreck, Head on over to the Electronic Access Store on the RSI website. You'll find it under the Store tab, right beside Voyager Direct. From there, just add the items to your cart and purchase them with your hard-earned wreck. You'll need to log out of Star Citizen and log back in again for your ship or components to be available, and the rentals will last for a total of seven days. Next up, the weapons system redesign. In another design post on the RSI website, this time of the not-quite-as-epic proportions, we're taken through how the hardpoint system now works. Previously, each weapon hardpoint had a class, each gun had a size. The class system wasn't the easiest to understand at face value, and it didn't seem to bear any relation to the size and type of gun you could actually fit in that slot anyway. In an attempt to simplify the system, the weapon system has been overhauled. The way it works, essentially, is that each new hardpoint now has a points value, and each thing you plug into that hardpoint spends the points. To give you an example, let's say we had a ship with a size 5 hardpoint. Now give us 5 points to spend on weapons. A gimbal costs 1 point. A targeting computer costs 1 point. So that leaves us with 3 points to spend on the weapon. A size 3 gun happens to cost 3 points, so the total for a size 3 gun that's gimbaled with a targeting computer is 5 points, perfect for a size 5 hardpoint. If you decided you don't trust no stinking AI to blow your enemies out of the sky but still want to have a gimbaled gun, well, that will give you one spare point, meaning you could move up from a size 3 to a size 4 weapon. That's not 6. 1 plus 2 plus 2 plus 1. Uh-uh. There was only one shot that got the chandelier. That's 1 plus 2 plus 1 plus 1. Even if you were right, that would be 1 plus 1 plus 2 plus 1, not 1 plus 2 plus 1 plus 1. Okay, fine. One plus two plus one. Shut up! So the full design post has links uh, to the cost per item. It'll be in the show notes. But one thing we have to point out right now is in Star Citizen 1.1, the ship hardpoints of size 2 and upwards have been changed to use the new weapon system. So does this make total sense to everybody now? Are we all on board with this? They basically need to post more examples of this that are real because they posted some sort of pseudo-examples rather than how it will actually look live on ships. I believe Ben edited in a couple more, or Chris, to one of their forum posts, talking about, for example, the Constellation turrets would be size 8, so that would give you the two size 3 guns, plus the turret itself, which is the equivalent of the gimbal, plus a space for a gunner. So that's 8. So it wouldn't really change anything, but it would potentially be replaceable with other turrets that add up to 8 in the future. Lennon and I kind of went back and forth on it a little bit, and the two things that I kind of said that I didn't wasn't really excited about, I guess, is that it, this is more about design and engineering simplicity for the team rather than game balance at this point, because we have no idea, and it's going to take a severe amount of tweaking and figuring out to find out the relative value of a targeting computer versus a, a manned gunner. We don't know if that's a point, right? I don't know if that's the, the same one-point equivalent. It might be that they have to nerf the AI so much that the target computer is only, only worth one, and the manned gunner is, is worth two, or whatever. So 
I think this is more about them getting a, a system in place rather than game balance at this point. And I think the other part of it is that the upgrades themselves, people might recall that I was a little bit uh, miffed or peeved when they took the upgrade slots from Iconic. I was hoping that maybe what they would do is they would just sort of shift those upgrade slots to the weapons hard points. And I'm seeing that that may still happen a little bit here, but what that means is that all the Connies are going to have to have size 8 hard points in order for it to uh, for a size 3 gun to sort of be worth more on a Connie than it is on a Hornet. What I mean by that is maybe there's an upgrade that's a better cooler system and an upgrade that's a, a faster targeter and then an upgrade that lets you, um, I don't know, recharge faster or something. You know, if all those are going to be stuck in these hard point things, all the Connie hard points are going to have to be greatly beefed up in order to make the size 3 gun on a Connie worth more than on a Hornet, even if that's something they want to do. But it just seems to me like the bigger ships need to be more tunable, upgradable, tweakable. Uh, you need to be able to push their, their envelopes a little farther than on these tiny cramped fighters. Something else they did mention that I think speaks more to your first point, although it could also relate to to that second point as well is that all of these possible configurations won't necessarily be available either right it's as they learn from the initial releases and the initial turrets that are available on different ships they can gradually dribble out to us more configuration options so it won't be a total lego like oh i get to take my size two brick and my size two brick and put four of those in my size eight and come up with something totally nuts it's Right. It's going to be limited to whatever turrets are available that fit that slot in con preset configurations, at least at first. Right. Some some turrets will only come in two gun flavors. Some turrets will come in four gun flavors. That's all that you'll be able to you know put in there. A, a, a Connie turret might not fit in a Freelancer. Uh, mm -hmm. A Freelancer turret probably isn't going to fit in a Cutlass. This is a lot more about back-end engineering simplicity, like I was saying, than it is about balance or than it is about, you know, actually kitting out ships in Arena Commander at this point. It's just something that is, is for their concept artists to be able to talk cleanly to their modelers who can then talk cleanly to the designers that run the spreadsheets that try to kit out ships in their little niches. So it, it, it doesn't have a lot to do with gameplay really at this point. Which again, when, I, when, they, when they said the new weapon system was coming out, I said... Have at it, guys. Do whatever you want to, because it's going to change 18 times before we finally, you know, before it finally gets set in stone. So I'm just yeah, it's uh, super abstract. At yeah, this point. it's really yeah, it's really squishy at this point. But it, it's an interesting start. We'll see how it goes. But there's a long way to go on it, and I'm sure we'll be covering this for months and months and months to come. So now you've got your game installed and your weapon system sorted, you're ready to head out into free flight mode. Out your port bay window, you spot a landing pad. And as you've been cooped up on your ship for a while, you want to get out and stretch your legs. Well, the first thing you're going to need to do is land your ship. And this is where the new landing system comes in. To start, you need to toggle your landing gear on by pressing N on your keyboard. From there, start moving towards your targeted platform. Once you're within range, right-click to request permission to land. Once permission's been granted, your radar will change to a landing strip which will guide you onto the platform. Once you've aligned your ship, you can either take your hands off and let the computer land you, or you can attempt a manual landing. The choice is yours. To take off again, you also require permission, which is currently bound to the middle mouse button. Oh, and whilst in Arena Commander, you can take off and land without permission. 
If you try this in the Persistent Universe, you will be punished accordingly. Ho-ho. Wonder if they're taking a page out of Elite Dangerous on that one. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For those of you not in the know, if you try to land on a platform or inside a starbase without permission, you will be destroyed. Oh, that's they, fierce. They just vaporize you. Yeah, they give you, you yep. get like a minute countdown. If you don't vacate the premises in a minute, they train all the station's guns on you and blow you up. <laughs> that is so brutal. Is there a secret hotkey for a Chris Roberts landing where your ship just falls apart? I don't know. This is bullshit key? Yeah. Yeah, we need, yeah, we need one of those. So aside from the new systems, there's the usual rounds of polish and bug fixes. In general, you can now do free flight multiplayer. There are some HUD updates for overheating weapons. The friendly fire system has been tweaked and a lot of ships have been given some extra polish. I did not see in the patch notes if there was any spit, but there was definitely polish. Mm. A lot of the issues that were present on the public test universe have also been fixed, but as is expected with such a large update, there are a lot of known issues. So be sure to check the full patch notes linked in our show notes for more information. I can tell you what I'm going to be doing this weekend, downloading the patch, because that's how long <laughs> it will take. <laughs> well, supposedly yeah. the download speeds are supposed to be much better now. The new for, Amazon for, cloud hosting. Yeah. See, what you need to do, what Jeff, what you need to get a, a drive, take your external drive to work, Download it at work where you get like, you know, a bazillion I'm not, megabits. Yes, I'm not going into work just to download this. We love Mr. Lesnick around here, not just because he takes on every one of our suggestions and implements them. Hey, hey, Ben, can I get a cat in my hangar? The feature you have listed to me will definitely be happening. Cool, thanks. Well, Trudeau's word he's giving us some advance notice on the next concept ship sale, which will be the Aegis Vanguard. Originally known as the Bulldog, this is the twin-engine deep space fighter that we voted on for the $59 million stretch goal. What seems to be effectively a Hornet with two engines, guess how much they're charging? $250. Yes, $250 for a fighter. Yeah, that's way overboard. You know, somebody tried to explain the reasoning for this on, you know, because the extra seats and the extra, you know, electronics and the sensors and all the other, you know what? There is no justification for this outrageous price. No, their justification is they'll get it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the justification. I mean, uh, we're talking, that's the, that's the original price of the Andromeda. That's the price of the Redeemer. I think that's what the Retaliator was originally sold at. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And again, the, the point is, these, ships. yeah, for these for these concept sales, I mean, supposedly this is the lowest price they'll ever be offered for, right? I mean, again, let's be realistic about it. Once it's in the persistent universe, the UEC equivalent for the ship when you earn it in game will be a lot less than that. But the cash price, supposedly, you'll never see this uh, low price again. So, you know, for those of you that really want to start out the game in an uh, Aegis Vanguard, aka the old bulldog. You now know what how many uh, pennies and nickels you need to save up. Yeah, again, it just seems like for the equivalent ship types, as we go on, there's just no rhyme or reason to it. And I think, honestly, it just doesn't matter to them anymore, nor does it appear to matter to the fans. They're just going to set a price based on how many units they want shipped, how many people they think, based on experience, will buy at a $250 price point for whatever it is they're selling, uh, versus how much would buy it at a 325 versus how many it would buy it for a 150. So I, I think that has a lot more to do with it now than any sort of apples and oranges comparison. 
as to the type of ship or what its job is supposed to be or its features. Do you think there's any aspect of actually wanting there to be fewer of these in the hands of players at the start of the game? A little bit of rarity, scarcity? Yeah, I could go for that. You know, I could buy that too because you can earn these ships in the game So and, and earn costs, like Tony said, is, is going to be far less than the purchase cost for it. So... Uh, that could be very well what it is. It's it's uh, keep them rare. You know, I mean, I go back to you know the old standby Chris's months years old comparison. Now that a ship like the Constellation should take you about sixty hours of game time to earn. So if we if we're gonna compare that out here for if if this is about the price of a Constellation, that's that's close. That would end up being what like uh, four dollars an hour. That is a lot more than your typical MMO earn rate would ever be. I mean, a couple of orders of magnitude higher than your typical MMO prize earning rate would be. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot less comparatively once the game finally launches. But remember, everyone, these are this is pledge money, right? You're helping build the game. It's not you're you're not buying a ship. You're helping support the game's development. Okay, but how you know we've reached seventy five million? How much is we've reached seventy five million dollars cumulatively? But they've blown through a lot of that now. I mean, I be you know they don't have seventy five million are, in the are bank they, anymore. Are, you know, do we have to go back and discuss about are they too big for their britches now? I mean, should they be a little more frugal? And and uh, I'm not saying that they are. We can certainly have that discussion. To me, the people that would usually ask those questions would be your venture capitalists, the investors, people you got seed money from in your various funding rounds. It would be your shareholders uh, if you're a public company. So those kinds of people aren't here. They don't exist in this realm. It's just us little podcasters. So, I mean, and, and then, of course, the annoying press people that occasionally like to write clickbait articles about how this game will never exist. But, I mean, there's no one asking these questions. And so we could ask them. So far, I think that part of their concept, though, is spending money to have a lot of outreach, to go to conferences and to go to places where gamers and, and nerds congregate to show off the game. I mean, I think it's part of their strategy to build a game and to grow it, to spend a lot of time and money and effort on the show of making it, not just the actual creation of the game, too. And that's really the only marketing they're doing, keep in mind. Some of these AAA games with giant budgets are spending massive percentages of that on the marketing. There's no I'm commercials sure. for it on TV. Whenever you do see it in sort of what I'm going to call print, but it's, you know, website magazines and stuff like that. It's not, they're not advertising on sidebars. What do you think Elite Dangerous's uh, development dollars were? Oh, a lot less. But the game is a lot less. It's fun. Elite Dangerous doesn't blow my mind. If and when Star Citizen gets its full feature set built out, it'll blow my mind. Elite Dangerous is fun. Don't get me wrong. There was a game on my Sony Clie. If everybody remembers, everybody remembers the Sony Clie, right? Everybody remembers that the Palm operating system. They oh, had yeah. a, they had a space trader game that I wasted hours on, and all it was was just a click interface of me, you know, driving around, blowing up ships and trading goods. That's what Elite Dangerous is right now. It's a, it's it's that Sony Clie pocket. Uh, Palm Pilot game with with spiffy graphics. Don't get me wrong, I love both of those games, but Star Citizen is going to be a notch above. The narrative storyline, a full-fledged social module, the ground action, which I'm probably not going to get involved with too much, but it's still going to be there. Top-notch space combat. I mean, it's going to have this. it'll cover the same turf as Elite Dangerous, but just go a lot deeper. But now it's time for the news we didn't use. 
strategic might. The Retaliator is now hangar ready. Fan Spotlight Wallpapers Volume 4. Great pieces of fan-made art for your desktop or phone. OP.net. Man turrets, or should they just be physically operated turrets? Meet the CIG Devs, Episode 17, with Jeremy Masker, Director of Game Operations. A new trailer has been produced for South by Southwest. What do you dream of? And the latest entry into the Galactic Guide, all about the Helio system. I gotta watch that new trailer. I haven't seen it yet. It's pretty spiffy. A lot of it's rehashed old footage till about halfway through, and then they put some new stuff in there. It's pretty cool. One thing we didn't talk about this week was 10 for the producers. Um, oh, yeah. And they had a question in there about in-game radio. And they said, yes, it's going to be a thing, but probably not at launch. So we probably ought to start our planning now for our in-game Indeed. radio station, I think, would be a good idea. Well, Lennon's not here to ask the question, and we know it's not here yet because we just got the patch notes. So I guess I better say, where the f*** is the first-person shooter module? Uh, Star Marine. Star Marine. Star. No, we're not changing the name of our bit just because they've had a branding or a marketing thing. No, we're not doing that. No, no you didn't do no. Arena Commander for uh, the no. dogfighting module. No, no. There will there'll always be a special place in my heart for where the f- is the dogfighting module because there is a special place in my heart. So, uh, Jace, what have you been doing this week since you're not doing first person shooter module? Well, I actually have been playing some of a game called Star Trek Online. I've heard of this game. Uh, it's a, it's a massively multiplayer. I think they call it online RPG. You you are an aficionado of this, are you not? Indeed, indeed. I, I thought I thought you might. Are you be. saying it's a point and click or a click and point or you could you could do both of those things in whichever order you see fit. There's been a a, a project uh, things to do a, a content drop of of sorts that has uh, uh, grabbed your imagination. Well, they're about to do a recruitment event for new characters, and I've just been putting the finishing touches on my main character uh, oh, post-expansion okay. in preparation for that, because I have trouble putting aside a game project just because the latest event came out, and so sometimes I miss events because I'm still doing the last thing. Oh, okay. You got, you've got it. You're, you're a completionist. You've got it. Mm-hmm. You've got it. Yeah, a little bit. I see. I see. Jeff, what have you been up to? Uh, a little this, a little that, but pretty much nothing. A little this, a little that adds up to nothing. Okay. I've already given away my secret. I've been playing the other space sim, the one that's out. So that's what I've been doing. It's pretty good times. I've really been enjoying it. Our executive producer, Elliot Tan, and I have been flying around a little bit. But he's been at work a lot this week, so we only we only flew for a couple hours once this week. But, yeah, he's really super jealous of me because, like, me and the Empire, we're, like, tight now. They've invited me to their fully armed and operational battle station. Oh, that's not a moon? No, no, that's no moon. It's a space station. And this week's community question, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We want to know your thoughts on Star Citizen 1.1. Is this everything you dreamed of, or has this raised some concerns? Let us know. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. Now that we're all caught up, let's talk about zero-g combat in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Hello, neighbors. Welcome to Mr. Roberts' neighborhood. It's good to see you again, boys and girls. I'm not going to go inside to change my shoes and sweater today. 
My good friends invited me to his house to watch him paint pictures. Do you like to make pictures sometimes? Maybe with crayons or pencils, maybe with, with paints like my friend. Well, why don't you grab your favorite drawing or coloring things and, and meet me at my friend's house. C come on. Why, hello there, Mr. Robbins. Uh, hello, Bob. Uh, thanks for inviting me over to watch you paint today. Hope it's okay that I brought my friends with me. Oh, hello, boys and girls. Yes, everyone is welcome. Come in. What are we going to paint today, Mr. Haas? Well, today I thought we would paint a picture of three-dimensional spaceflight. Oh, that certainly sounds very tricky. Tell the boys and girls about the words three-dimensional. Certainly, Fred. You see, boys and girls, when you fly in space, there is no air or gravity. The only restrictions a pilot has in controlling his ship are the limits programmed into his flight computer. He can move in any direction he wants at virtually any speed. Up down, left, right, forward, backward. It's all the same in space. Oh, I see. Up and down are one dimension. Uh, side to side is another dimension. And, and, and back and forth is the, the third dimension. Can you say dimension, boys and girls? I think you can if you try. Oh, that was very good. Yes, so let's start with the drawing of my favorite space fighter, the Hornet. Uh, that's a very nice picture, Bob. Maybe you boys and girls have a favorite spaceship you can draw along with us. Yes, and the Hornet is flying among the stars. Maybe a nice nebula, a, a nice Prussian blue. And over a planet, some fluffy clouds here. And under a crescent moon. Oh, oh, that's very, very pretty, Bob. Now, now, what's this other ship here, here behind the Hornet? Oh, that is a Vandal Scythe, Fred. Oh, is that the Hornet's friend? No, Fred. As a matter of fact, the Vandal have taken position behind the Hornet for a kill shot and plans to splatter the Hornet across the face of this pleasant crescent moon here. Uh, oh, 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 Bob, 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 you know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound very friendly. <laughs> it's really not. But because the Hornet is in space, he might still get away. See, Fred, he can use his thrusters to change his relative position to the sky without changing his velocity. Uh, that, was a, that was a lot of grown-up words there, Bob. <laughs> Maybe the boys and girls would, you know, rather hear about something else. Maybe something, I don't know. Like... Well, you brought them here to learn about real space flight, right? Right? So let me show you here. The Hornet can fire his maneuvering thrusters straight up, or down, or left, or right. In space, there isn't any gravity or air resistance. So the Hornet instantly moves around, hopefully ruining the Vandal's firing solution and getting him out of the kill box. Uh, 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 Bob, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't talk about the kill box here on the, on the, on the show. I'd just maybe... Well, if we don't talk about the kill box, we can't go into the next part, which is my special space combat adaption of Pugachev's Cobra, you see. The Hornet pilot needs to turn the tables on the aggressor craft so he immediately decouples his flight path from his primary thruster orientation, then spins on his lateral axis uh, 180 degrees to obtain his own firing solution on the aggressor. Once achieved, the Hornet should apply braking or boost thrusts opposite in the direction of its flight path to reduce his relative velocity to the aggressor. Then, 
Depending on the reaction of the aggressor, the hornet should apply dorsal or ventral thrust and initiate commensurate lateral rotation to maintain its firing solution while further reducing relative velocity. The hornet should engage when the aggressor's profile is squared nicely in the kill box, like I was saying. And boom goes the fusion reactor and the vandal guts are spraying everywhere and shrapnel goes wee all over the fuselage is cracking and hey, Bob, 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 Bob. Yes, Fred? I think that's all the time we have for Mr. Robert's Neighborhood today. Won't you come back to visit me? You don't have to visit Bob, obviously. Probably not anyway. Okay, g- goodbye, boys and girls. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say that he always rolls the hard six, and that he always counts his money when he's sitting at the table. But all we know is he's called the Shiv. And the Shiv's playing tabletop games, and he didn't put together this week's feedback either. Green Dragoon writes in and says, You asked for ways to improve Patreon support. I think providing more transparency as to what the money is for would help. There are plenty of podcasts out there that run on next to nothing. How is guard frequency different? We're not any different. Well, we run on next to nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we do run on next to nothing. No, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, and also, they need to have a huge budget for guest hosts since Lennon is here so infrequently. <laughs> That's right. Jace is, I mean, and and just listen to those smooth, dulcet tones. That doesn't come cheap, friends. It doesn't come cheap. True. No, uh, we, we, do, we do run on a shoestring, but it, again, it's not nothing. Um, what we have from our Patreon supporters, and thank you each and every one of you, our day-to-day costs are covered by our Patreon uh, supporters. We thank you so much for that. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it means that we don't have to, uh, in addition to our wives rolling their eyes at us for devoting several hours per week of our valuable time to prepare and produce and create the show for you, we don't also have to dig into our checkbooks. That would sort of start crossing lines. Please, uh, sir, can so, I get paid now? <laughs> please, sir, can I get paid? No, we don't get paid. No one, no one here gets paid for that. But our, our running costs are taken care of by our Patreon supporters. We thank you very much. But we'd like to do more. And our Patreon campaign is mostly about if we receive more support from the community, we will take that support and put it back into the show. We have a Green Dragoon suggestion. Started putting together more of a budget, which I will add to our Patreon page as we revamp our rewards. The changes aren't ready yet, but I want to thank Green Dragoon for his input. And, uh, sir, it has been acted upon. So we did also hear from Versecast this week. Congratulations to Guard Frequency for reaching 100 org members. Woo! Achievement unlocked. Very cool. Yeah, so uh, that was part of a a large conversation uh, that went on and on and on uh, between me and some of the Versecast podcast members who were, if you'll recall, the people that came to Lennon's aid to defend his honor on the Mustang Challenge. Um, Ah, yes. But... uh, Yes, it eventually came around to my avatar, my Twitter avatar, which is uh, Hammer. If anyone's familiar with the Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, uh, Nathan Fillion's character was Captain Hammer, and he had a t-shirt with a hammer on it. And so I I use that for my avatar and a lot of things. And uh, uh, it is not because I wanted the gif of MC Hammer sent to me by one of the members of the Versecast. That was not my intention. But I thought I I would share with everyone the story of why I've adopted the little yellow hammer, because I get the question a lot. In high school, there was a a Polish foreign exchange student, and I was one of the sort of high school kids. I know this will shock everyone, but I was sort of active in the student council and all that kind of stuff. So (laughs) they asked me to sort of help the foreign exchange guy out the first week, kind of help him orient uh, to American high school. And uh, he was in uh, several of my classes anyway, so we hung out in science class. 
and we were having trouble setting up this particular apparatus for the experiment that day. And he said, ah, I seen this in my high school in Poland. And I'm like, oh, yeah? And he says, yes, we must. And then he was like, we had we went through this process of translation where he wasn't quite sure of the right words. But the translation he came up with, we must explore the edge fracture conditions of the object with a kinetic impulsor. And we all went, wow, that, sound, oof, that sounds technical. And uh, and they said and we said okay so so show us how to do that and he says well what we have to do is beat the shit out of it with a hammer <laughs> so ever since then I was very taken with the phrase kinetic impulsor and so I've been I've used it for for a lot of stuff it's my handle and my in game avatar and a lot of different things so yeah it's not because I want to wear parachute pants and uh, do the running man it's it's because of that translation that I I, I kind of enjoyed so that's the the story behind the kinetic impulsor that's why I have a hammer. If anybody's curious, that's that's why. Even if you're not curious, hey, I have a podcast, so I can talk about pretty much whatever I want. Next up is Underdog SMO. Hey, guys, love the show. Been watching for some time now, and it's made very clear that Jeff has no love for FPS, emphasis on shooter. But how does he feel about the requirement of general first-person gameplay? I'm not talking about planet-side shopping stuff, but the fact that someone who wants to play a life-saving role may be required to EVA out of his ship into potentially dangerous space and drag someone to safety or perform some form of first aid with the tools, such as the medic gun thing in first person. I'm totally up with that. I, I think that's part of the whole experience of being in a persistent universe. We were kind of talking about this offline a few shows back. First-person shooter does not equate to first-person play. One is good, the other is, eh, I can take it or leave it. So you're you're, you're totally down with an EVA activity. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And, you and know. cutting through a hull and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so there, there we are, Roberts Space Industries, CIG. Uh, just follow through on your promise uh, of different types of first-person gameplay, not just shooter stuff, and Jeff won't be cranky anymore. <laughs> we got a suggestion, Jeff, that we should try feeding you a Snickers. We got that suggestion on Twitter. Um, oh, I saw I that. Think, I saw that. I laughed. But I think this idea is better. I think you know, improving first-person gameplay so it's beyond just the shooter is better than a Snickers bar. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, good, good. Oh, you always give me these. On purpose. I did this one on purpose. <laughs> That's straight up like Irish Gaelic or something. Yeah, I know. Something. Caramiera says, nicely done. Twas indeed a pleasure to listen to this show. With the ideas of in-game radio shows and hosts, you guys should be well on the way to be established presence in the verse. You remind me of the fun radio shows in the early days of EVE Online. Perhaps you should do a special live phone-in episode one day. Oh, that'd be fun. I thought you guys always phone it in. But this idea of a a call-in show, I like this idea. It's tough, though, because we'd have to do just that. Jacob Knight writes in to say, Very good work. I enjoyed listening to this podcast a lot. Just one thing noted, though. I'm sure Marv Bremel didn't want to show off Abe's Aegis' reclaimer. No doubt under that huge tarp behind the sales office lot. As that might promote a misconception as to Abe's acquisition policies for their stock. Still, the ship is an important part of the Aegis lineup for prospective venture operators and would have made the segment more comprehensive for those buyers not familiar with the Aegis range of products. Keep up the great work. Yes, well, you know, like when we do the bits, at some point, we're hoping that, in addition with that live radio show, we're hoping we can translate some of those bits into, like, things we can play on the live stream when, we're, when we don't have a live DJ. 
you know, we're trying to fit those things into the universe, kind of. And yeah, there's not going to be, the fiction's going to change. They're going to retcon some stuff. There'll be new ships that come out. There'll be ships that change their names. Stuff like that's going to happen. This week, our latest patrons are Freedom. And this week's winner of Guard Frequency Swag, courtesy of Random.org, is going to be announced next week with another winner because Shiv is off this week. And this week's community question, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We want to know your thoughts on Star Citizen 1.1. Is this everything you've dreamed of, or has it raised some concerns? Let us know. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at the robertsspaceindustries.com website. So how was the show? Did we cover our bid and shoot the moon, or did we go set and ruin your night? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com, and you can subscribe at feeds.guardfrequency.com or find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Just tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 64 of Guard Frequency. We will be back with episode 65 on March 31st. So be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subform. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down, you can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us will be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to come help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you just can't get enough spaceship podcasting, why not check out our sister production, Priority One? They cover Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe. Just go to priorityonepodcast.com. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, well, you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com slash live. We start recording around 8.30 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 2.30 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artist, Simon Charlton Edwards, and our assistant audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Time to 3300. Three, Count 15. Stay on the guard. This is Tony Intro Sync 1. This is Jeff, Intro Sync 2. This is Jace, Intro Sync 3. And Intro in 3, 2. I'm, I zoned out there. 2. <laughs> 2. <clears throat> I'm sorry, what? 2. Three, t- three, three, 2. Well, I'm not surprised you got good feedback from Dream... I'm not surprised you got good feedback from Green Dragoon. He's obviously an a individual of taste and discernment. 
and is also and a, a priority listener one listener. Priority one. <laughs> <laughs> so if you lost your syndication, would that mean that the base has dropped you? Well, I can't just fill in for Lennon. I had to fill in for Shiv a little too. Jace, why don't you uh, take the news we didn't use to start off with? Jace, are you there? Hey. Oh, sorry. I was muted because I was typing. I didn't realize. That quick <laughs> see, the, uh... see, 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 Jace, you're an excellent replacement guest host, but see, Lennon would either have not muted his microphone or he would have known he was muted. <laughs> you, you learn from the master. That's all we can say. He's, he is a master. He's a genius. That Lennon Rich fellow. So, so did, did you come are up? You, did you find are you him? hoping he won't uh, edit something embarrassing of you now? You, doing Every week I out. hope that. Every week I live in fear that he's going to find, like, you know, he's going to cobble together a terrible phrase for me. That's why I avoid saying the word Hitler on these recordings. Oh, oh there it is. Nuts. Now, now I'm doomed. The Hornet should apply dorsal or... La- uh, re- One thing we didn't talk about this week was 10 for Hitler. The Hornet should apply dorsal or ventral thrust to initiate... Cons- <laughs> what did you write me? <laughs> Commensurate. Yes. Oh, random thought. Just hit my brain. Hitler.